Welcome to the Mold Matters Podcast. Whether you are looking for help recovering from mold illness or just want to learn more about creating a safe environment for your family, this podcast is the place for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mold Matters Podcast. This is a podcast, as you heard in the introductory uh, message, that's dedicated to health, to mold. And uh, we've combined our experience as well as the experience of many others who we consult with, which includes doctors, microbiologists, mm-hmm. and Mr. Google sometimes. Mr. Google's actually... He's okay. He's a little inconsistent. He yeah. is actually. Yeah. He's a good uh, guy. Don't get me wrong. He's a good guy. <laughs> but scientific journals. In fact, mm-hmm. part of our, part of our uh, podcast today comes from some scientific journals and experts in the field. And, yeah, other remediators. Other yeah. remediators. So... And and just experience in general. But anyways, my name's Jeremy, and we've got Mike yes. Hi. Adams, a uh, professional remediator make, for many, uh, many years. Tiny adjust, okay. Yeah, just adjust mm-hmm. a few settings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got, a, we've got a, a nice podcast for you. This topic, uh, outdoor air versus indoor air, is something we, we've talked about doing a podcast for a while, and it's something that comes up all the time all every the time. day yeah and uh we thought it a good we actually brought it up in one of the podcasts i don't even remember when we were talking about um indoor sampling we brought up indoor versus outdoor air briefly mm-hmm. but i think today by way of uh, introduction today is more we're gonna go a little more in depth on what outdoor versus indoor looks like and Kind of, I guess the real. Actually, would you would you share, Mike? Because early on in your career, you started to realize, without reading any of the literature, you started yeah. to realize uh, outdoor air isn't the best indicator always of what's going on in the home. Do you remember how that happened? Yeah, I, I, I do. I definitely do. In fact, um, there were, you know, I would try to get as much information as I could back then. I mean, we're talking eighteen years ago, fifteen years ago. Um, Anyway, I I just through reading as much as I could, and then just thinking about the dynamics of what we're actually trying to achieve by taking these tests, I realized that man, there are a lot of there are, is a lot of misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll give you an example. Um, I did watch a video from a guy, and the the title of the video. Now this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me preface that with that. But <laughs> he was trying to make the point of you can't tell if your house is healthy or not because if you just dumped off some, I think it was soil additive or mulch or something into your garden by your front door, you've all of a sudden raised your mold count by a hundred times, right? Inside the house? No, he was saying outside the house. Okay. That, that was the problem with his, his logic. He was saying, so whoever's spreading this has been exposed to thousands and thousands and thousands of spores you don't get sick when you spread mulch so obviously the whole mold thing is a hoax mm. and it was a, it was a really kind of a kind of a dumb video yeah but it did make me think you know the the thing that he is right about is the outdoor conditions can vary wildly yes with whatever is going on in the yard or in the you know the parking lot or wherever you're taking an outdoor test yes and so we're going to talk about some of those things that can really really mess with an outdoor test and then overall does an outdoor test even mean anything? Yeah. And actually, maybe we should start out with uh, what some people refer to as the golden rule. 
um, mm -hmm. of, of mold testing. And this actually comes from um, the Air Quality, uh, the Air American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. Um, this is kind of how they define the golden rule of, of air quality, which we're not the only ones that dispute it, but I think most, I think, I think the world's coming around to understanding that outdoor and indoor air have to be looked at differently, but here's the golden rule. Well, let me also throw in, I think, I think traditional remediators, when they do not do a great job of remediation, they'll rely on that, that golden rule, and hopefully they're crossing their fingers, they get a really, really, really moldy outdoor report. Uh -huh. so that they can fly in underneath that count and say, yep, your house is safe. Yeah, so. I agree with that. So here's the golden rule. The concentration of fungi in indoor air typically is similar to or lower than the concentration seen outdoors. Hang on, hang on. Just one fungi or fungi? I don't know. Because the joke doesn't work. If you say fungi. If you say fungi. Yeah, so I would, I would like to see a grassroots movement okay, fun to, guy. to go fungi. I'll do that for you. <laughs> All right, thanks. Sorry, start over. <laughs> the concentration of fungi in indoor air typically is similar to or lower than the concentrations seen outdoors. Exceptions are enclosed agricultural and other specialized environments where indoor fungal concentrations may be much higher. Um, outdoor concentrations may exceed the those measured indoors even where indoor fungal growth is obvious. If indoor fungal concentrations are very high, indoor slash outdoor concentration ratios for total fungi may be low, even in the presence of significant indoor growth. I mean, so that's kind of, you know, there, there is some things in here that I think that are valid, but on the other hand, outdoor fungal concentrations may be reduced during times of snow cover or other conditions that suppress the release of fungal spores from outdoor sources, at which times indoor measurements may be higher than those outdoors, even in the absence of significant indoor sources. So it does kind of, it, it kind of says, yes, let's use outdoor air as a baseline. It does make room for some exceptions. Yeah. yeah. But I think, um, I think if you... You know, I, I'm thinking of just very recent examples in 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 your career, Mike, where where people are you know you got multiple parties coming in to analyze samples, and and the outdoor air becomes the bible all of a sudden. Right. And it's yeah. like wait, wait, but the out wait oh what's the outdoor? Yeah. And, and in in the one case I think that you're referring to was a pr fairly high profile case um, in the uh, Louisiana area. Yeah. Um, the outdoor test came in at crazy, crazy low amounts. Mm -hmm. And then they held the remediation process um, against the results of the remediation process against those abnormally low outside counts and were trying to make a decision whether the place was inhabitable or not. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you just have to be really, really careful because those outdoor counts can vary dramatically. Yeah. And I. I, just like anything with mold, it's never simple. It would be nice if it was a simple. I mean, I'd love to take an out uh, an air sample, and then just have a chart that I went down and said, "Okay, here's the now. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah we're gonna be great. We're yeah. right. You know, that house is safe. There's nothing else I need to think about. Yeah. But really, you have to be in everything mold. You have to be a major investigator. You have to you yeah. have to be a detective. Unfortunately, so um, a couple factors, I guess. Let's let's dive into temperature as a first factor. Basically, what we want to do is we want to say how is an indoor environment, how is your home, for example, going to be different environmentally than outdoors? Than outdoors, yeah. And a big one, 
is temperature. Right. So I don't know if you want to yeah, so mention some things about so temperature. Yeah, so studies have shown, and I think it's anything below 50 degrees. Is mm -hmm. that, am I quoting that right? Yeah. Anyway, it's, if, it's, if it's cooler outside, if it's cooler outside, um, then you are not going to have as many molt sporing. They, they kind of just go into a little bit of a dormancy and they're mm -hmm. not going to spore. Yeah. So, for example, if you go outside in the dead of winter and take a test at, you know, 26 degrees outside, that test is likely going to be pretty darn clean. Yeah. And so don't let that panic you if you go in and take an indoor test and you have higher counts than outdoor. It's, it's just the nature of the beast. Is it's not going to spore very much when the weather is cold outside. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the, the snow argument makes sense, right? If right. there's snow everywhere, you have a yeah. fresh... This, but, but you're kind of saying even cold, even cold regardless yeah. of snow. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, I'll pull, I pulled up the numbers while you were doing it. There's kind of, I mean, there's a range, right? So um, anything actually, the, the optimal range for mold, for most molds. And, and that, I guess that's something to bring up too, is some molds are different. Right. Some molds yeah. are a little better at hotter temperatures. Some are better at cooler. But for most molds, the optimal range is 59 degrees to 86 degrees. Okay. So, um, and then you can kind of go out from there. Below 50 is where you start to get, lose a lot of, uh, you know a lot of activity with mold yeah so yeah i mean you're at 45 degrees you're taking and then you use that outdoor test as your bible mm -hmm. to, to say this yeah. is this is what we need to hold the indoor air to and then on the reverse end um hot temperatures um i think i think the literature says you start to hit 99 100 degrees and that's where a lot of molds you know they can live up to 140 degrees some of them but yeah. that's where you start to have you know, I, I imagine a bell curve at the low right. temperatures, not as much activity yeah. up to like 75 degrees is the peak yeah. back down by a hundred degrees. You start losing a lot of yeah. the molds that are active. And by contrast, your indoor air is probably always between, you know, 68 and 76 degrees right. for the most part. So the indoor is ideal to, to spore if the mold is available. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, I remember a, a, a sign, uh, an environmental scientist saying, you know, depending on where you live, six months of the year, yeah. you've got some major temperature issues that make your outdoor indoor, indoor air sample comparisons really not that great. Yeah. You know, especially where we live here in Utah, we have kind of the extreme season. So yeah. we're already at, we're in the 40s today. Right. So we're already hitting that yeah. season. We'll, we'll have the next three or four months of pretty cold weather that that's below 50 um when it gets hotter i guess the difference between the extremes when it's hotter uh it does uh, heat in its in its in its extremes can actually kill the mold whereas um cool in its extremes typically just puts it like you said into a dormant phase so right. um so that's kind of the temperature issue um um the next one up was the humidity yeah. yeah let's do let's talk about humidity maybe introduce that for us so yeah is, it, this is a really interesting subject to me because um as you know jeremy with our method of remediation um we use a vapor which raises the humidity in the home um to actually sterilize or kill the mold and 
bacteria, everything that's in the home. Mm-hmm. We've been accused by competitors as, well, what they're doing is they're just humidifying the home and that weighs down the spores and that makes it so you can get a good um, after treatment test, which is just, it's nonsense. For one thing, we would not have literally thousands and thousands of happy customers who, who swear by our service if that was the case. Many of whom were sick and many were very now sick. Felt yeah. better, so. And so, but my point is that um, humidity does not make mold lower, it makes mold much greater. Yeah. And that's obviously the case. In fact, this the same project that I'd been working on down in Louisiana, um, they didn't necessarily have a flood situation. They had a um, a what they call a mold bloom, and that's because they had mold on many of the surfaces already. And then when the power went out from the storm, they lost their HVAC system. Once you lose your HVAC system, you have no air movement. And so your air becomes stagnant, and it also the humidity just starts to build, mm-hmm. and that's what created what they what we call the mold bloom, to where you. It was almost literally mold on every surface in that facility. Mm, wow. And so yeah, humidity is a is a huge factor when it comes to mold. Yeah. So what you're saying is, outdoors, especially in Louisiana, the South, uh, and we're t- we're speaking relative humidity. So even cool places can have high relative humidities but you know you've got humidity which mold really likes because mm-hmm. it provides the moisture right and then all it, if it has the moisture all it needs is nutrition which is easy to find mm-hmm. so if you're taking an outdoor sample in a very humid environment outside the home and then you take a sample inside the home where you where you regulate the humidity right, right. you regulate the temperature like you said yeah and you regulate the humidity with your air conditioners or your dehumidifiers on your air conditioners or whatever it is and airflow yeah. to create a different environment environment from a humidity perspective. So you truly are, you, I, I guess that's the point of this whole podcast is it's it's almost apples and oranges. It's not apples to apples, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's a good it's game. Not, but yeah. Apples to apples is a great game. It is yeah. a good game. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not no, air sampling. No, it's, um, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the uh, in more humid states, the outdoor counts are astronomically higher than what we would have here in Utah, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. And so, again, if you're comparing the outdoor to what the human or to the indoor count, it's going to really skew the results and skew your your thinking on the whole subject matter. Mm-hmm. And also, you you would want to think that a home in Mississippi is every bit as healthy as a home in Utah. Right. And but if you go by if we're just comparing outdoor to indoor that's really going to skew that by yeah. a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, because I think on the scale, you know, Utah, where we live, outdoor counts are much lower than they are in Florida or right. Georgia or right. South Carolina. I think I, I talked to rem- a remediator in um, central Illinois, and I think he told me that a typical outdoor count is five, 6,000 minimum. Really? During the summer, yeah. Yeah, that's that's much higher than Utah. Much higher, yeah. And they can go up to I've seen you know up to twenty thousand yeah. or more depending or more, on yeah. on the weather. That that kind of goes back to the you know because climate and and even weather conditions do influence you know the the air counts. Rain is the the common one. If you've got if you've got rain, well, wind for example, wind wind definitely will pick up spores and it's not like you typically have fans in your house 
30 blowing miles stuff around. around. Yeah, 30 so you've miles got, an hour, yeah. Yeah, so you've got wind. Rain. Rain has an interesting effect. It definitely, if you take a test after a rainstorm, I've seen some pretty high accounts yeah, just in Utah. Yeah. Um, we don't get a ton of rain, so it's not as big of a thing. But I will say this. I took a test once on the banks of the Potomac River, and that had to have been 50-mile-an-hour winds. Mm -hmm. And you would think that should stir things up like crazy. That test came back completely clean. Really? Did not capture a spore. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think it's because there was no... There was no, there were no spores, or do you think it's because the air pump couldn't handle it? Or uh, yeah, I think. You think it was just a clean air environment because there was no. I don't think it was a clean air environment oh. at all. I think it was it was just the wind and and the interaction with the wind and the pump, how that pump is pulling. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. almost like almost a reverse Venturi effect. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it didn't pick up a thing, which I actually tried to point it right into the wind, thinking this is really going to read sky it's high yeah you know. you're going right in and absolutely nothing interesting yeah interesting yeah and this this is actually a good um a good lead into maybe the last point we want to talk about which is indoor environments are by definition uh indoors yes they are <laughs> yes i have yet to see well maybe i should say, no i that's right i have yet to see an indoor environment Outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I. I mean, please, yeah. please give chime us feedback. In, chime in if you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call in the hotline <laughs> if you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Is that Ashley? Ash, do we have a hotline they could call? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if our we'll get we'll get that out later. Yeah. <laughs> if you get any calls, tap them into <laughs> the the podcast. Yeah. I mean, a, an indoor space is an enclosed space. Yeah. It is enclosed from the environment. So. If you, uh, you know, and an outdoor space has all these factors, and there's many more that maybe we don't even know about or we haven't been uh, had the time to bring up in the outdoor environment. But indoors, you are in a confined space. We try our best to get air circulation, mm -hmm. and, and people do open doors and windows, but by and large, it's a very, compared to the outdoors, right. it's yeah. not, uh, it, it doesn't have a ton of fresh flowing air that, right. you know, it has a lot of recycled air. And a lot of so I think I think the point you're you're aiming at is that even if you are at the same amount outside as you are inside or inside as you are outside, yeah, that doesn't even mean you're healthy on the inside. And the reason for that is go ahead and share your analogy. I think it's great. The the lawnmower. Yeah. Well, should I give the background? Yeah. Well, it, it started with me. I was going for a jog here not far away, and I was at a very busy intersection. I started to smell some exhaust because yeah. there were a ton of cars, and I was on the sidewalk. And I started to smell exhaust, and while you're running, you know, you're like, oh, yeah. It's not my favorite thing to breathe exhaust, but it actually didn't, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tons of cars at this one stop stoplight intersection. And it got me thinking, I could totally handle that exhaust, no problem. I mean, I didn't love it because I was right there, but... Right. But it was totally fine. And I, I kind of just started, the wheel started turning in my mind. And I was like, well, what if we took that same kind of a thing, even exhaust, mm -hmm. and, and put it into our house even for three minutes? Yeah. So I, I, I first went to a car. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, people kill themselves with cars. You know, they put it in the garage mm -hmm. and turn on the exhaust. Yeah. And there it doesn't take long. Um, and then it took me to the, the, I think, the better example, which is lawn mowing. We all mow lawns. Yeah. And we, you know, we'll... 
whiff the exhaust as we're mowing, but it... I actually quite enjoy that smell. Do you? Yeah, I kind of do, yeah. Mixed in I with... Actually, I like to mow the lawn. That's, that's so... Anyway. Oh, yeah. mixed in with the grass smell, the fresh Great. grass yeah. smell. I do like Great. mowing. yeah. Now, take that lawnmower. Yeah. How long does it take you to mow? Oh, uh, an hour. An hour? Yeah. Take that same lawnmower, stick it in your house for five minutes. Right. And just imagine the effect that has on your, your environment indoors. Yeah. And also change the dynamic mm -hmm. from I only mow the lawn an hour a week to I actually sleep in that house 10 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the point is that equal amounts of mold outside and inside can be drastically different environments that you're in. Yes. Yeah. Totally. And, and for the most part, I mean... I have to be careful because I don't haven't been in every environment, but for the most part, I like to see the indoor air uh, cleaner than the outdoor air. Right. Yeah. But um, you know, again, there's there's this idea of you know I've been in houses that had pretty clean air tests, but I didn't feel like they were healthy environments. Right. So th you run the risk of. Yeah. of that as well well the other problem i'll just throw this in real quick the other problem is and we mentioned this on former podcasts but when you take a air test air quality test through just a spore trap cassette mm -hmm. um, you're measuring for the mold that is currently sporing at that time mm -hmm. you're not accounting for mold that could be dormant in the home you're not accounting for mold that is growing and happy in the home and not sporing you're just accounting for the mold that happens to be sporing somewhere around where you took the test, mm -hmm. and so it it can it can really throw you. Um, I have been in homes where I can see the mold literally growing on the bathroom walls and the bathroom ceiling. I've taken a test in the bathroom itself, and it came back clean. Mm -hmm. So you just it's uh, all of it is just take it with a grain of salt. It's a tool, but it is not a definitive measure of anything. Yeah. Well, and I, I'd throw in that list mycotoxins. They, you know, we're still learning about them, but they, you know, they are emitted into the environment under different conditions than spores are emitted into the environment. Yeah, right. So I remember a house you and I went to several months ago where we felt really sick. Yeah. And it didn't, I took some air tests there. They didn't have crazy high air tests yeah. in there. But yeah. you and I came out of there, we saw some mold, and we felt really sick in that house horrible for you you were messed up all weekend i remember yeah. i it took me about an hour before i felt right after that one so i think and actually tell me in your experience how many times because i know you've worked a lot with the health uh, kind of the mold sensitive mold sick mm -hmm. um, i know you've worked with a lot of doctors and physicians who treat mold sick patients and that's where you've got a lot of your expertise from as well but how how often have you seen someone sick in a home where the air test maybe didn't really reflect that very um, well? I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but it's a high percentage. Pretty high? It's a really high that, that because if there, well, two things are going on. One is if the mold is happy and not sporing, and when I say happy, it's getting plenty of moisture and food, mm -hmm. so it's just growing. It's not in a state of stress, so it's not going to spore out, right? Yeah. That's the that's the state of the mold that is the most dangerous because that's the state that it is putting out mycotoxins. Yeah, and so um, it, it's it's really really common to go into a home where somebody has more of the toxicity 
um, symptoms, uh-huh. you know, like neurological problems and yeah. and things like that, where the mold is happy in that home. Yeah. It's putting out mycotoxins like crazy, but you take a test and it it is a relatively clean house spore-wise. Yeah. And um, so I would say easily 50% of the, the people I've treated, their homes that were really sick from uh, mold and mold toxins, and they got better after we treated the home, I would say easily 50% of those, the pre-treatment tests showed no problems at all. Uh, yeah, if you, yeah, according to... According to the spore trap test. Yeah, it, was that like, according to like a, using outdoors as a baseline kind of a or concept? Or even just, just, no, not even doing that, just my experience is, okay, that's an overall fairly low count. You don't have any marker molds that are showing up. Yeah. Um, you know, no stachybotrys, no catomium, um, and very, very few hyphal fragments. All things that you look at to determine if that's a problem home or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say easily 50% of the people who were sick, the indoor test didn't trigger any red flags. Wow. We just knew that, look, if I can smell it, you probably have an issue. Yeah. Or if your doctor says you've got mold problems, you have an issue, let's just treat it and get you feeling better. Yeah. So. Wow. So so not even using outdoor tests, because I feel like you, of anyone I've talked to in the industry, you have a much higher standard for indoor air quality yeah. than anyone I've talked to. Yeah. I, so I Honestly, Jerry, I think outdoor tests are, are ridiculous. I, th- I think people who've listened to this podcast, uh-huh. I feel like you put a jab in for that almost <laughs> every podcast. <laughs> I do. Just, just get a little... I think, I think sport track tests in general are ridiculous, but... Yeah, especially comparing outdoor to indoor is even that's a whole new level of, yeah, of nonsense. Yeah, so even according to your your kind of high standard, even with that high standard, you see quite a few that are still uh, mold sick, right? You know, yeah. a, and they fall within your high standard. Yeah, is what you're saying. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that's and I guess we did do a podcast on, on all the things we look for in a mold inspection, but, yeah, I mean that's kind of the importance of like we've talked in a couple of podcasts, doing a full home inspection and incorporating all the factors of health symptoms as well as all the visual stuff. Right. As well as, uh, yeah, very thorough, uh, you know, doing a profile of the home, a history of the home, you know, understanding what kind of water issues have happened there. The age of the home is really important. Uh You know, uh, yeah, take an air test, maybe some surface swabs, do some other, you know, and you, you package it into this big picture, and that's going to be way more valuable than, than just taking a test. just taking that air test. So yeah. I mean, we've said that probably dozens of times on this podcast, but one more won't hurt, right? <laughs> Never hurts. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that covers it pretty well, don't you? F- yeah, for I think today, so. Mike? Yeah, uh, well, that was good stuff. Yeah, that was good stuff. I hope my, uh, my daughter called at the end there, so <laughs> I'll probably call her back. Yeah, yeah, give her a call back. Yeah. You have to report on it next. You should have put her on the podcast. I should have. Yeah. Ah, yeah have. Next, podcast we'll next podcast. Next podcast. She's probably the caller. That she was probably the caller calling in about, uh, you know, what we asked to yes. debate. You know, yes, the indoor versus indoor versus outdoor yeah, environments. She probably has seen an outdoor environment indoors. indoors. <laughs> if anybody has, it would be Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll talk Thank to you, you next time. Take Later. care. Thanks for listening to the Mold Matters Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more in-depth information on mold illness and recovery.